Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. Hey, Tracy. What? La- last month we had a little podcast adventure together. We did. <laughs> so on the off chance that you didn't hear about it, Tracy and I went to New York to be part of New York Super Week, and we had a blast doing our first live show. And now we get to share that with all of the people who didn't get to be there in person. So we're going to basically do this in two parts. Uh, today's part is the the live part podcast portion of the live show. So you know our podcasts are in the 30 to 40 minute long range most of the time. Our, our, our live show was an hour and a half. So today's part... We're going to talk to Brian Young about presidential assassinations. Yeah, uh, he is a really fabulous gentleman and a, a writer, and he wrote this amazing book uh, about presidential assassination and attempts for children. And we're going to talk in this first segment of the podcast about how he came to write this book for kids and also how his daughter Scout ended up illustrating part of it. So let's hop right in to Live Time with Tracy and Holly. We should bring out our amazing guest, who is Brian Young. Come on down, Brian. Have a seat, young man. Hello, Brian. Hello. Aloha. So, uh, is all our is all our tech seeming to work back there? Yes, it all sounds great. great. Little did Brian know he would also get drafted into technical work tonight. <laughs> this this is what it is. Before we start, I have to do a quick brief announcement. Oh right, uh, we have a birthday in the audience. Uh, so Ross, we want to say happy birthday to you. Uh, your girlfriend Joan wrote us to tell us we needed to say happy birthday. So happy birthday wherever you are. Raise your hand. Happy birthday! Hey, I'm not. I'm not suggesting we actually do this. No. However, if we did want to sing happy birthday, we could legally, we do, could it legally do it now. We could legally do it now. Yeah. But let's not, not be do sued that. For copyright I honestly don't remember if I mentioned during that podcast. I hate that song. <laughs> I hate everybody sounds tuneless and horrible singing that song. <laughs> My husband will tell you about how I have shut down restaurant staff and made them very afraid for starting the song. And then I'm like, I got it. Uh, so I don't, I don't, I don't love it. No shade to happy birthday if you love it, but no. it's not for me. No, we, we don't need to sing, but we could if we wanted to. We would not have to so make happy up. birthday, Ross. And thank yes. you for coming. I hope it's grand. Yeah. So we're going to talk to to Brian for a while about presidential assassinations, and then we are going to do some Q&A afterward. Yep. That's the plan. That's the plan. And then time permitting, we could even do a little meet and greet afterwards if we haven't taken too long with Q&A. Very time permitting. So it's up to you guys to balance your questions with your desire for time up close. (laughs) I don't know if that's going to start any fights or fisticuffs, but I would like to witness both. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Tracy has less blood. I'm up for whatever. It'll Do be you fine. want to say anything about yourself before we climb onto the question party train? Uh, I think you covered it. Do you want to talk more about how fabulous you are? Or? <laughs> I, you, you're, you're too kind to me. No, I seriously adore Brian. He is like a sibling to me at this point. So, I just, yay, I'm glad you're here. I mostly want to note that I've been on stage for eight minutes and I've already splashed water on myself. Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. I think we should now just all splash water on you and make it a family <laughs> affair, really. Uh, so to kick off, I will ask the question... 
what on earth prompted you to go, you know what kids need <laughs> is a book about presidential assassination. <laughs> well, I was uh, wandering around Washington, D.C., and uh, I had a, a writer's group out there, and we'd go out every every year and just kind of visit museums. And I found myself looking for breakfast, and uh, Google told me that there was Lincoln's Waffle House. And so I go there, and I eat waffles, and I realize as I'm sitting there eating waffles that Ford's Theater is across the street. Because where else would Lincoln's Waffle House be? Right? I mean, that's just <laughs> natural. Um, so... I went over and the museum was amazing. And, you know, you go through this wonderful installation, you go upstairs, they show you the, the booth where, where Lincoln was, was shot. And it's just sort of, uh, crippling, uh, almost like how emotional you can get over, like, this is something that happened here. Um, and they have like everything. They've got the gun that, that shot him. They've got the clothes the conductor was wearing when Booth like knifed him. And, uh, I came home from this. And was telling my kids about it. And my daughter, Scout, was about eight eight years old at the time. And she was like, wait a second, back up here. People have killed presidents? Like, this is a thing that happens? Like, how, why, why would you do this? Why, how would that happen? And uh, so we went around and we were looking for books that would be able to contextualize it in a way that an eight-year-old would care about. And there were none. <laughs> at all shocking uh, a huge gap in the market <laughs> and so i was like well maybe i'll put something together so i can kind of really dive into it because at that point like um you know the, the only thing were the pictures that i'd shown her and like three days later i came home and she she had like on her wall like this series of photographs there are a series of drawings she'd made and she's like here's lincoln here's booth here's the gun that killed lincoln <laughs> And I'm like, what? Well, let's let's get you some more context on this. And and because there wasn't anything, um, I went. I found a publisher and came up with a proposal. And they were like, uh, let's illustrate it because I think kids need some context there. And I got into researching, and I realized this wasn't going to be about four people. This was going to be about a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, and Scout actually got to do some illustrations in the book too, which I think are like my favorite thing. They're so charming. They're really, really cute and yeah. oddly affecting at times. Yeah. Like uh, when you see it sort of through a kid's eyes, you realize sort of the almost visceral like immediacy of it. And it's lovely. Uh, my, my... <laughs> it is. No. Um... Because it's very raw. They're not editing. She's not like, how can I make this pretty? She's just getting it on the page. No, I mean, she read the story. She read the, the chapter on Kennedy and uh, she did this giant, beautiful watercolor painting of it. And Jackie Kennedy crying over the body of, yeah. of JFK through the lens of like an eight year old is actually pretty powerful. It is. It's very affecting. Go scout. Yeah. That's also a charming name. Yeah, it is. She, uh, Brian wins yeah. in the uh, children naming arena. That's correct. Uh, so before I read this book, sort of in my imagination, most presidential assassinations were probably for political reasons. That would seem pretty logical. And the ones that we know the most about, especially Lincoln, okay, that was obviously for political reasons. But then we read the book, and it turns out that most of them were for delusional reasons. <laughs> Did you expect that to be the case? I didn't. I mean, when when you hear about it, like, Lincoln is the one you hear about, and that's sort of, uh, yeah, John Wilkes Booth was not happy with the, the political situation in the country and it was a war and sort of killing the leader of 
the opposite team is something that that goes through slightly rational people's minds, you know. Right. Um, so in that case, it was almost like he was from a different country. He wasn't an American citizen. He was a Confederate and, and he was fighting a war. Um, but a lot of these other guys were just, uh, insane. They were crazy people. Um, and, and Lee Harvey Oswald is, is interesting because that's the other one we think about a lot. And it's like, I don't think anybody has any idea what, what was going through his mind. Was it like, what was going on with that guy? I'm not sure. So it could have been delusions. It could have been, uh, political reasons, but there wasn't any, immediately apparent reason that we know for sure because Jack Ruby kind of eliminated that possibility. He took that into his own hands. Yeah. And, uh, but most of the others were, yeah, crazy people. I I don't know. We we could talk about it. Yeah, we we have some, some specific ones that we're going to talk about. Um, do you want to, do you want to jump ahead or do you want to sort of stay in the order that we have? Go, go (laughs) however you'd like. (laughs) Okay. Um, so I think most adults, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, you can easily name two assassinated presidents. You so. might struggle a little with the other two. But then when you get to the attempts, it gets super fuzzy. I'm, I couldn't just pull them out of my head for sure. Um, so I wonder if as you're writing this for children and you're doing research and having a lot of discoveries yourself, how much did you realize, like, I also have to make this palatable for an adult audience? Um, a, a lot. I mean, part of, I think history is engaging to Everyone, if you present it like it's a story, which is why I love listening to you guys so much. Like you contextualize things in a way that's very easy storytelling. And my kids like listening to it too. Um, they don't have a choice, <laughs> but, but they listen anyway. Um, and, uh, but you look at history books and this was the problem when we were trying to find a book for scout. Like it's very dry. Yeah. It's very methodical about the dates and the times and, and what was going on. And there's nothing that really kind of gives you this sweeping. Um, this was sort of the essence of this person at the point where they almost or did meet their fate. And I was definitely writing it with that shared audience in mind. I wanted parents to read this to their kids and be able to talk to them. You can't hand a kid a book on presidential assassination and just say, go. Like, That's a wrap. I've done book. my duty. <laughs> you have to, you have to talk to them about it. You have to, uh, you know, you, you have to engage with them about it because they're going to have questions just like Scout did that first time. I was like, I went to Ford's theater and she's like, what's that? It's like, well, that's where President Lincoln was killed. Somebody killed President Lincoln? Like, like it wasn't settled history for her yet. And so you can't, you have to, you have to make it so, like, I've read a lot of books to my kids and not all of them were fun for me to read. And that was sort of my goal with this was to make it fun for me to read as well as the kids and, and get them enough information that everyone might be surprised. That makes sense. It does. And it is a super good read. I mean, I, I'm not joking. I love this book. Oh yeah. Well, and I, I have, I think read it twice preparing for this. Liked it a lot both times. <laughs> uh, and I also completely see how you, it, it should be relevant, even though my mom did explain to me where babies came from by handing me a book and saying, there you go. <laughs> really? <laughs> Cause my parents were literally like, you've probably learned this on the street. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't, they didn't want to talk about any of that biz. That was, well, that was my from- mom didn't either. Well, that's why she was like, book. There you go. Uh, that's why I'm a Ravenclaw. So, uh, I was startled by how many people or how many, uh, presidents have had assassination attempts on them. Yeah, you don't 
think about that a lot. Uh, there were a couple that I absolutely had never even heard of. Uh, Truman was one that I, when I was like looking up presidential assassination attempts and I was like, who wanted to kill Truman? Like, when did that happen? And then you read it and it's just like this bloody action movie. Yeah. Um, and, and so that one surprised me. But the one that I found that made me knew I had a book, because I, I think if it was just the four that had been assassinated, there wouldn't be a book there because every story ends poorly. But it was getting to, it was getting to Andrew Jackson's attempt. Um, because Andrew Jackson was the first president who had an attempt on his life. And it's just a fun story. That's like, an action movie I would love to watch. You could even write it as a, uh, an action comedy. You let's, really could. Let's go ahead and talk about that yeah. one. Yeah. Cause I, I was, I had a note that we needed to talk about that one for sure. <laughs> so let's get right back to it and hear the rather astounding story of the man who tried to kill Andrew Jackson, which, uh, this story features a pretty interesting and fun historical cameo. So Andrew Jackson, uh, obviously not the nicest guy in the world, and he did a lot of horrible things during his presidency, um, like the Trail of Te- Tears, for instance. And uh, there were a lot of political reasons where someone, and this is why I assumed, like, well, of course somebody tried to kill Andrew Jackson, but that is not the reason anyone wanted to kill him. So uh, Andrew Jackson was president. And uh, a house painter from Washington, D.C. named Richard Lawrence uh, went crazy because of all of the lead he was using in his paint. And he developed delusions. He he thought he was the king of England, Um, which I have to say, there's an excellent illustration in the book of him painting a house and reaching this delusional state where he's like, I'm the king of England. And it's so delightful. Well, (laughs) the other one, the other really delightful one is the the one that's his thought process of I'm going to kill the president and then i'm going to get money and then i will be richard the third well <laughs> that's like there's sound flow chart work there sure. that's, <laughs> I mean. well that's that's the interesting thing about it his delusion was that he was the king of england and that the american government owed him a sum of money and that andrew jackson was the thing preventing him from from getting that sum of money and once he killed the president and acquired this money he would be able to sail to england and regain his throne and so he bought a pair of Derringer pistols and began to stalk Andrew Jackson around Washington, D.C. And this was at a time where there, there wasn't, you know, security. You could just walk into the White House and have a meeting with the president if you were in Washington, D.C. And he there's a, a funeral for a, a congressman, I believe. And there, uh, Andrew Jackson is coming out of the uh, Capitol Rotunda and he's coming out of the East Portico. And Richard Lawrence leaps out and goes to fire his first Derringer, but it misfires. And then he pulls out another Derringer, and it also misfires. <laughs> and Andrew Jackson gives him a piece of old hickory. Uh, <laughs> he he beats him with his cane until the crowd can subdue him. And, and the person who helps subdue the man is Congressman Davy Crockett, <laughs> <laughs> who hated Andrew Jackson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, like, as soon as I got to, like, wait a second, are you saying Davy Crockett helped foil the first presidential assassination yes. attempt? Like, that's when I was like, there's a book here. That was not yeah. on the Disney show at all. No. <laughs> but it could have been. Like, that so could have been. It could have. 
That always gives me so many questions. One, he's clearly delusional because why would you use derringers? Like, I don't, if you guys don't know, derringers are, used to be called garter guns. They were for ladies. They're very small. They're not very powerful. It, it was lead paint. I know, right? Uh, but, but two, I also hate Andrew Jackson. Yeah. Because yeah. I grew up as a child in Florida and I had to be in this horrible play about Andrew Jackson called Andrew Jackson, Father of Our State. And there was tremendously bad songs. There was tears. It was like an Irish funeral. There was keening and tearing of hair. And I, I just the, have bad Andrew Jackson flashbacks. The more interesting thing about the Derringers that, that I put in the book because I thought it was very interesting is that the Smithsonian kept the Derringers. Like, they arrested this guy. They didn't execute him or anything. They put him in an insane. Like, this guy is clearly crazy. We're sorry. And they just put him away. <laughs> Um, but the, the Smithsonian, they, they keep everything. And so they had these derringers. So in the 1930s, they, the, the historians that were working there were like, let's pull those out and see, like, why they misfired. And they both fired on the first shot. And they're inconsistent. Uh, they are inconsistent, but, generally, um, they, they worked out the odds that, that they would both, both that they would both misfire on that day was like one in 125,000. And so Jackson was very, like, the best guess they can come up with is either, like, he he didn't load them properly, which is possible because of the lead paint. Lead paint. Or, or that uh, maybe it was too humid in Washington, D.C. the day the, the, the event happened and it just didn't spark. And, and maybe they were too wet or moist or something. I will do it. Yeah. I think we should we should start using this story as an example when uh, when, when, when people are angry when we talk about consumer product safety in some way on the podcast and people are like there's too much regulation well once upon a time because we had lead and paint somebody tried to shoot the president (laughs) then we'll get like the lead paint lobbyist really angry maybe so well and then also there's the whole part that at that time they were basically just crowdsourcing presidential security like whoever was around if somebody's trying to kill the president you tackle that guy where is Davy Crockett when I need him um, you, us talking about his mental illness, which is terribly sad, makes me wonder, since you really dug into a lot of these stories, and they do reveal themselves to have generally kind of sad characters that are really dealing with some mental problems. Did you ever find yourself sort of sympathizing or just like, oh, man, if only your life had gone slightly different? Yeah, no, there absolutely were. There was uh, there was the guy that uh, um, I think it was uh, Giuseppe... Zangara, who tried to shoot Franklin Roosevelt, mm-hmm. and he was just like he was poor. He was a worker. He was an Italian immigrant who'd fought in World War One, and he he literally just had like this pain in his gut, and he just kind of went crazy with it, and decided Franklin Roosevelt wasn't helping the, um, you know, the little people. Right. And uh, he he tried to kill Franklin Roosevelt because of it. And when they sentenced him to death, he was you know his only defense was like. It was this pain in my gut, and the voices were telling me to do it, and I don't like it. And it was like, that guy just needed a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there were some others, too, where uh, the the guy who killed McKinley um, was doing it for political reasons. But the, the kicker for me was that he goes to kill McKinley because he doesn't think McKinley's a friend to the working man because McKinley was – um, doing some things with banks that, that he didn't necessarily agree with and thought would, would hurt the working class. And he shoots McKinley in the stomach and the crowd just instantly turns on this guy and they start beating him senselessly. And the only person shouting for his defense is McKinley shouting, don't hurt him boys. Like he didn't know what he was doing. Like the one guy he thought was the enemy of everybody is the one pleading for his defense. 
shot in the gut. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. There were a lot of heartbreaking stories like that, actually. Yeah. Well, in his attempt, I, is another thing you keep bringing up the ones I'm that sorry. I'm, I, no, don't, don't, don't apologize. You, you keep bringing up the ones that I'm, I'm going to ask you about. Like his attempt was so, he had to climb on a chair. Oh, uh, right? Giuseppe Zingara. Yeah. Yes. Like, so, so, uh, when he was going to kill Franklin Roosevelt, um, Giuseppe Zingara was, uh, he, he was like barely five feet tall. He was just under five feet tall. And Roosevelt had won the election, but he was still the president elect and he was kind of touring the country and he's at this event with the mayor of Chicago and there's a lot of people around. And if you're just under four feet, you can't see over a crowd at all. Under five feet. Downgraded him yeah. to a jerk. <laughs> it's, he was four foot something. So you're, he's just under five feet. He can't, he can't see over the crowd. So he gets a wooden folding chair. And pulls it into the crowd and just starts firing wildly at Roosevelt's procession. And he proceeds to hit everyone but Roosevelt. Um, and he hits the mayor of Chicago, Anton Cermak. And Cermak, like, literally is hit and he's like, I'm glad it was me and not you, Mr. President. Like, those were his words. And Cermak uh, lives for another, like, 19 days. And Zangara is being held for attempted murder because he hasn't actually killed anyone yet. And so they're just kind of holding him, waiting, like, is the mayor going to die? Is he not going to die? How do we charge this guy? And uh, in the meantime, he's just sort of rotting in prison with his stomach ache. And uh, it, it, it's just fascinating how how all of these things play out. And you think about, yes, he killed these people, but in that 19 days, like, he hadn't killed anybody. How do they deal with that? Uh, there was a few of them. Um, you know, McKinley's assassin, too. It was... Uh, he hadn't killed anybody, you know, and, and they found that like they could only like his maximum sentence was like 10 years at that point. And, uh, it, it's interesting now looking back at it. Yeah. Well, and they didn't really have limits on how long you could just hold someone. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see how this <laughs> plays until, out. Until you can <laughs> well, tell if it turns I mean, into murder instead of attempted. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to lighten the room a little bit. Um, so one of the things that I really loved in this book is you really go into some fun details and side roads and bring up a lot of interesting things sort of along the way. Like it's not just about presidential assassination. You kind of get these moments of what, really? Uh, there were some really great bits of invention that happened uh, when Garfield was convalescing after he was shot, including even Alexander Graham Bell. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about the bullet finder and the air conditioner that were both developed <laughs> to help treat him? So Alexander Graham Bell was trying to help. Uh, he thought that he'd, be, like, develop a system to help find the bullet in uh, President Garfield because uh, President Garfield was shot, uh, I think, twice in the back, and they couldn't find the bullets. And uh, Alexander Graham Bell developed this system. It's it's basically what you use in metal detectors. It's the same sort of idea. So you, you wave it over, and it'll beep if it bounces back against something metal. Um and it didn't work in this case because it was reading all of the the metal springs in the mattress beneath Garfield, so it didn't actually help at all. Um, and then with Garfield, they were just trying to keep him comfortable, and it was oppressively hot when this happened. And so, uh, and I, I love I, every bit of research I tried to do to find the name of the Navy engineer who was in charge of this, and another gentleman uh, whose name I don't remember now, but the other one. His name is lost to, to, to history as far as I'm aware. Um, 
in order to keep him comfortable, they developed one of the first air conditioners. So they, they got literally six tons of ice and were blowing air over it and piping it into where Garfield was convalescing uh, because it was just so oppressively hot and he was just so uncomfortable and miserable, uh, you know, with these bullets in his back. Which were getting poked at by people that didn't really know what they were doing. Yeah, that, so. that kind of happened with both of uh, McKinley and Garfield. They got they got poked at a lot by people who didn't know what they were yeah. doing. There's an unfortunate amount of, and then they couldn't find the bullet because they didn't really know how to do that yet. If they could have just dialed back that spring finder. Maybe they <laughs> <laughs> or just got rid of the springs. There or move him onto the floor. Temporarily. You problem solver. I know. Why were you? I'm telling you, Ravenclaw. <laughs> I don't, I don't believe they realized it was the, the mattress coils like immediately. Like it was like years later, they're like, yeah, that probably interfered with it. Ah. Um, because you're like, it's just going off. Like we don't know why it's, it's new technology. I don't know. You know, it should work, but it doesn't seem to be finding anything. It seems to be finding everything. And, uh, you know, years later, they were like, I bet those mattress spinks had something to do with that. <laughs> Somebody thought of it while bathing one day. Yeah. That was what it was. <laughs> I think, I think Holly has another medical question. Oh, I'm going to apologize in advance, y'all. Um, but it's fabulous. Okay. So, uh, both Garfield and McKinley had some issues. And, uh, well, they were shot. Right. <laughs> but in their recovery, they couldn't really eat all the time. So they were given, and you gloss right over this in your book, nutritive enemas, um, which is fascinating, right? I know it's gross, but then you go, huh. Um, <laughs> but he does gloss right over it. He just brings it up and is then like, yeah, they got the nutritive enemas. And then he goes right on. And I'm like, this is a book for kids. You need to get the poop in there. That's what they want to hear about. <laughs> so I was wondering why you just sort of blipped right through that. Because um, while I don't usually like that stuff, kids love it. It's uh, it's kind of a little bit of a, a convoluted answer, but it's a funny one, I think. Um, when I was a teenager watching the Ren and Stimpy show, you remember the the commercials for Log? Um, so, yeah, exactly. So People know. As a teenager, I was just like, oh, this is a hilarious satire of a real commercial. But then when my kids were watching it, when they were like four, five, six, they came up to me and said, can we have a Log? <laughs> and I'm like... Oh, oh, I get what they were doing now. Like, this was a completely subversive thing to force my kids to ask me for a log and then have to explain to them, like, um, A, just go in the backyard. Or B, like, you know, that's not actually a product. And so my thinking was, I thought it would be really funny for a kid to be reading this at the kitchen table and then peek their head up and go, Mom, what's a nutritive enema? <laughs> And that's why I kind of just glossed over it. Like, I, I just wanted to create that experience for people. Well, it's good because you know, like, the first time they read it, in the first instance, they're probably like, hmm, what is that? And the second time, they're like, i got to figure this out. <laughs> so that's, yeah, it, it's as simple as that. It was, it was basically a Ren and Stimpy gag. <laughs> that works. Uh, I want to talk about that time that Teddy Roosevelt gave a speech while shot. Yeah. Um, and this is, I, Teddy Roosevelt was probably one of my favorite chapters to write because that guy lived a lot of life. Yeah. Um, and it was really interesting. And he was one of the few people who wasn't actually president still when the assassination attempt hap happened, but he was, uh, running for his third term. 
after he'd handed everything over to Taft and saw that Taft bungled everything and sold out every ideal he ever had to, um, you know, the trusts. And so he was campaigning really hard on the campaign trail and no one to that time had, had got a third term. And there was this bartender named John Schrank who quit his job mysteriously one day, um, got into the Bible like he was super religious and then said that the ghost of William McKinley went to him and said, you, you need to avenge me because Roosevelt got, uh, promoted to the presidency in the first place because of McKinley's assassination. And he started stalking Roosevelt around the country and got a ticket to Milwaukee where Roosevelt was campaigning. And um, you go to uh, he's well, there's kind of two ways to talk about the story. The first is that everybody kind of tells it wrong and, and, we hear the story where it's just like he was shot at a speech and he kept giving the speech and it's so much more interesting than that. Oh yeah. Um, which is what I couldn't figure out because when I started to research it, it was like, Oh, he was shot at a speech. And then I'm like, wait a second. This is way cooler than this. So he's eating dinner at the hotel across town before he's giving the speech. And, uh, Shrank shoots him between dinner and the car that's going to take him to the speech. And they they take Shrank, they arrest him, and Roosevelt is in the car arguing with his people. And the bullet has gone through his glasses case and his 50-page speech and lodged in his chest where he's bleeding from. And his people are like, cancel the speech, we're going to the hospital. And he's like, I'm not coughing blood, what's your problem? Like, let's get to the speech. And they're like, Miss, you know, like, Colonel, like, we're not we're not doing this. Like you've got a bullet in you. Like you can't go to the speech. And he's like, listen, I'm not coughing up blood. Let me do the speech. They'll understand. (laughs) And he gets to the speech. He gets to the side of the speech, which he has to like convince everyone in the car. Like, and that's how charismatic Teddy Roosevelt must've been. Like he's bleeding out of his chest because he's been shot and he's, and he's not driving. He's not at the wheel and he's convinced like all of his handlers and the driver. No, don't go to the hospital. Go to, go to the speech. And he gets up and he's like, listen, everybody, I don't know if you've understood, I don't know if you can understand this. Everybody be as quiet as you can. I've been shot. <laughs> you can see here, uh, where the, the bullet went through my speech. I'm bleeding here. Um, I was supposed to give a, a long speech, but I'll try to make it short. Well, cause the speech also has a hole in it. Yeah. And he doesn't know what those words were. They're gone. <laughs> and he proceeds to speak for 90 minutes. <laughs> And then they take him to the hospital, and they're like, sir, we're going to try to pull the bullet out? And he's like, nope, just sew it up. I'm good. <laughs> and he lived for the rest of his life with that bullet in the in his, his chest. Which, uh, this is an interesting one to bring up, because we do always get the shorthand. Isn't that what you guys heard? Like, no, he got shot oh, yeah. during the speech or whatever. Totally wrong. And I, like, why do you think we get the shorthand version of a lot of these? And some of them we never learn when the real deal is so much more compelling and fascinating. People are lazy. <laughs> no, I don't know. Thank I mean, you. it's been a great show. It, it, it's one of those things where, like, it took a lot of digging to actually find that story. So it was like I was going through a lot of period newspapers and I was going through accounts in different places. And it actually took a lot of work to put those pieces together. And I'm not, I, I can't pinpoint why the narrative turned that way because maybe it's just an easier story to tell, like, oh, Theodore Roosevelt was shot at a speech and just kept talking. Um, but 
Yeah, no, I'm much more fascinated with the real way it went down because Theodore Roosevelt's way cooler that way. I feel like if someone filmed the real version and people went to it at a movie, they would be like, is this like a Tarantino retelling version? Like, they wouldn't believe that was the real one. Right. Yeah. So that Teddy Roosevelt shooting story gives you a really clear picture of what a charismatic and tough man he must have been. It also, to me, makes it extra funny to think about how that same man who, you know, was insistent that he should carry on with his speech-making duties despite his injury had such trouble controlling his daughter Alice, who we talked about in another podcast. So before we Uh, conclude our live episode with Brian Young, let's pause one more time for another brief word from one of the great sponsors that keeps this show on the air. Alrighty, so coming up, we're going to talk a little bit about whether or not Scout's vision of the Kennedy assassination actually runs counter to the Warren Commission's findings. So, okay, I'm going to not, you probably won't really be able to see this, but so the the chapter on the assassination of John F. Kennedy sticks pretty closely to the Warren Commission's official findings of what went down, which is that there was a single shooter, and that's it. Mm-hmm. But when I look, I'm going to cover up the bottom part to not spoil the paint the picture for people who want to see it themselves. But this looks like a grassy knoll to me. <laughs> <laughs> She's calling your kid on the carpet, man. Is that yeah. I'm putting your kid on blast. No, I'm not really doing that. I just generally, I'm like, is is that is this child drawing or is this really a grassy knoll? So it's it's a child drawing. Scout, um, and I I did not direct Scout in doing any of her illustrations at all. Um, I gave her reference material um, for the presidents and, and helped her research it. I mean, she actually did a lot of research for this on her own where I gave her the chapters I'd written and she read them. And um, she went through and, and her and I like Google image searched and went through a whole bunch of history websites and, and uh, the Smithsonian for, through their photo archive to get photos and, and reference for her to use. And, she felt that it was, and, and then she just went on her own and she worked on it. Um, the book was late because she kind of started having trouble at school and it was like, do you do your homework or work on my book? Well, you should do your homework, but, um, eh. Eh, yeah. So she felt it was important, like artistically to make sure that the shooters were in the frames with the assassination attempts. So that was her kind of creating like an artistic frame around where she thought uh, like imagining it in her head where he was. Okay. Um, and, and that was because I asked her the same thing. I'm like, that's not the way it went down in the book. <laughs> and she's like, well, they needed to be in the same, the same painting together. And I don't know if it was her, like, I don't want to do two paintings <laughs> or that's also legit or it was, uh, but, but she played the, it was my artistic license card pretty well for, for an eight year old. Okay. Or maybe you've raised a conspiracy theorist. Uh. And now no one will know. And it's like, I don't know, like, which which is the book advocating? And did he tell the daughter this story? And I don't, that could happen. I picture her years down the road to being interviewed and having to explain how she just, no, I said it was artistic um, integrity, but really, my dad is full of beans. 
Um, I, I have to wonder, because this is such a great book and clearly such a labor of love, and especially considering that your daughter was involved in the process and your other illustrator, Aaron, does amazing, beautiful work. And I know you guys did so much work to bring this thing to life. And I wonder, like, at the end of the day, as the creator, what do you hope people take away from it, both as kids or adults? You can do that as a two-parter. Um, I think, so, for kids, I really... I really got into history as a kid. Like I was really interested in it and it was because I was able to find little pockets of it that really interested me. For me, one of my entry points was old world war two movies, with my grandfather. Right. And those were like stories about it where I could go and find the things behind it. And for me, storytelling is what connected with history. And so to be able to get kids interested in it and interested in America, I mean, American history is, absolutely fascinating even when it's horrible i mean it's still Mm -hmm. um completely fascinating there are there are lots of great stories and i think it's important for kids to have that interest in it and it was certainly important for me to provide my daughter with that ability to learn these stories because she wanted to she was asking about it she wanted to know why people would want to kill a president because it was completely beyond her she wanted to know about these presidents and I wanted to package it in a way that would make her continually interested in it. And for adults, it's, I, I hope, I, I mean, I kind of felt like I was cheating writing this book because I didn't actually like write these stories. I just sort of collected them. And so every time I read it, like I just get drawn back in to like the stories themselves and try to think about what it would be like to, to be there and how, how all that would have worked or, um, you know, in the stories that, that were really, really fascinating for me and, and to learn it and know it because I think it's important that we know it. There you go. So that's what you almost take away from this book. Um, but it is, it's a, a, such a fabulous read and I love it. And you're so sweet to come and talk to us so much about presidential assassination. I, it was like my pleasure. So that is the main portion of our New York Super Week appearance with Brian Young. But wait, there's more. Uh, you'll also get a second part to this event in our next podcast because our uh, our audience for the show had some really fantastic questions about the assassination. So much so that we wanted to share that information with folks as well. So stay tuned on Wednesday for that. And special thanks again to Brian Young for joining us in New York. His book, again, is called A Children's Illustrated History of Presidential Assassination. Uh, you can also find Brian at brianyoungfiction.com, and that's Brian with a Y, and on Twitter at Swankmotron. Uh, Brian actually has a new book out this week, which is called The Aeronaut, and it's a work of fiction, but it's set in an alternate version of World War One, so it's a speculative uh, history novel, and it's just lovely. His fiction is just as good as his nonfiction, so I hope you will stretch out and read some of his stuff because it's absolutely delightful. And now we will do a bit of listener mail. Sound good? I have a two-piece listener mail situation. That sounds great. The first one kind of relates to our trip to New York City. Uh, this is from our uh, listener, Kathleen, and she says, hello, Tracy and Holly. And then she um, makes us into a portmanteau of trolley, which is kind of fun and nobody's done it before. <laughs> Uh, so she says, the mister and I were in New York City last month and we took a, the opportunity to take a tour of the Tenement Museum. Since we are both of Irish descent, we opted for the Irish Outsiders Tour. 
the granddaughter of an Irish New York City beat cop on a tour led by the granddaughter of an Irish New York City fireman. Pretty perfect. I did not even know the museum existed until you ladies mentioned it on the podcast. Thank you so much for that and for all the work you put into producing your insightful and informative program. Signed, Kathleen. Kathleen, thank you for writing this uh, to us. One, because I'm always delighted to hear that people have been to the Tenement Museum and loved it. And two, because I kind of feel bad and wanted to publicly apologize to the Tenement Museum that we did not get over there while we were in New York City. We didn't. We were so busy. It was like a crazy, very short kind of whirlwindy trip where we were like kind of in and out. Yeah. Uh, we had a variety of things lined up with panels in our live show. And it was one of those things where there was just no elegant way to try to wedge in anything else. So next time we're there, which I hope we will be again, we are absolutely making an effort to go there because I really do want to want to go and experience the whole thing for myself. And especially because uh, Annie was so gracious when I interviewed her and we had such a great time talking that I would just like to hang out with her. So uh, everybody should go to the Tenement Museum and so should we. Uh, and our other piece of listener mail I won't read the whole thing because it is lengthy, but it is lovely and it is very kind. And it is from our listener, Megan, uh, who I hope she pronounces it Megan and not Megan. But those are the options. She is Australian, but she uh, wrote us while she was on holiday in Ireland. And she sent us some really delightful treats from Ireland, including some Guinness chocolate, which I handed off to Tracy because she happened to be in the office when this package arrived. We got some pens. We got some cool seeds to grow our own lucky plants. Shamrocks. Yeah. It was a very, very sweet gift, and we just wanted to thank you for it because we appreciate it. It's so kind. I can't believe people take the time to put together parcels just for us. It's incredibly moving, and it always gives me pause. Uh, so thank you because I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. If you would like to write to us, you can do so at historypodcast at housetubworks.com. You can also connect with us at facebook.com slash history, at pinterest.com slash history, at mistinhistory.tumblr.com, on Instagram at history, and on Twitter at history. Uh, if you would like to also visit our parent site, you can do that. That's House of Works. You can search for almost anything your mind can think of. And if you look up presidential assassinations, guarantee you're going to find a lot of stuff. So you can also visit us online at mistinhistory.com for all of our back catalog of episodes. They are all archived show notes if they're episodes that Tracy and I worked on. Uh, and we encourage you to do that. Come and visit us at mistinhistory.com and howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 